A church divided with a large group of them criticizing Paul. That's what we find as the Bible bus rolls up to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So how will Paul address his critics? Is there anything that he can say to change their minds? We'll find out today on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Welcome, I'm Steve Schwetz, inviting you to hop aboard as we set off for another great adventure in God's Word. So while you grab your seat and find your place at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I want to share two quick letters from our fellow passengers. The first of them is from Hungary. I am now 43 years old, and as long as I can remember, our family has listened to your programs. As a child, we didn't have a radio, but my grandmother and I used to go to our neighbor's home to listen. They were an elderly couple that were not believers, but they liked the programs and invited others to join them. After we bought a radio, we didn't miss a single program. I recall that when I was 12 or 13 years old, the broadcast switched to the middle of the night. So we would set the alarm to wake up and listen, and then we would go back to sleep. Now I'm grateful I can listen at my pleasure on the Internet. My favorite time to study with you is when I'm cooking. My prayer is that the Lord will bless all my brothers and sisters who are listening with strength, wisdom, steadfastness, and health. I also ask that this teaching will continue for many years and bear much fruit. It's a joy to know that the Lord is already doing this. I send you my gratefulness and love from Hungary. Wow, what a wonderful letter. You know, she encouraged me today. I sure hope she did you. And, you know, here's another good one. This one's from Poland. Recently, I have heard your messages on Christian living. I often find it very hard to restrain my speech, and later I am ashamed of it. I am so grateful to learn that we live in a time of grace. As you shared the story of the woman in the court and of Jesus saying, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. I was really touched. I'm grateful to know the Lord forgives, but also gives me the power to overcome my weakness. I believe with his help, I will fully overcome this problem in my life. Well, let me ask you, is God working in your life? Well, why don't you tell us the story of how he's changing you as we study his word together? You can email us at BibleBus at ttb.org, or you can send your note to Box 7100. Pasadena, California, 91109, or in Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. If calling is easier, just leave us a message at 1-800-65-BIBLE. Now join me in praying and giving God our gratitude for this time together. Lord, thank you for your word that draws us near and molds us into people who progressively look more like your Son, in whose name we pray, amen. Now let's begin our study of 2 Corinthians chapter 10 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now today we come back here to chapter 10, and we're in, friends, a very wonderful section that has to do with the warfare of the believer. Now he goes on to say, as he said at the beginning, I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ who in presence and base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I'm present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Now, this is a radical change that we've come to in chapter 10 again. It was a radical change when we saw Paul begin to talk about Christian giving. Now we come to an altogether new section, and actually it marks such a radical change in tone and style of the epistle that many critics 
have supposed that this was the beginning of a third epistle. And very candidly, I just can't quite accept that. Mere conjecture and change in tone, which is a sharp contrast, to be sure, and I grant that, it can be explained easily on another basis. Now, the church in Corinth, as we've seen, was a divided church. Paul said when he first wrote them, there's divisions among you. And he said, I know it's true because the house of Chloe told me so. Now, the majority in the church were for Paul, and they respected his authority. The minority, they were opposed to Paul, and they rejected his authority. Now, here in the first nine chapters, he evidently is addressing the majority. Now, here in these last few chapters, beginning here with chapter 10, 11, and 12, he's speaking to the minority, and it's like changing from daylight to darkness. Now, the minority were criticizing him severely. And he wrote a very strong letter, you remember, of correction, even threatening them in 1 Corinthians. Now, they were saying, Paul writes big, but he's a very little fellow. He's insignificant. And Paul says, I'm writing you in the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Our Lord was a carpenter. and He walked this earth. He didn't lift up his voice. He didn't defend himself. And Paul says, that's the way that I've been walking down here. And he faces those unscrupulous opponents directly without any preliminary or any circumlocution. He just comes right to the point here. I beseech you in the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And our Lord was not in personal appearance as striking and different as the artist would have us believe today. And this idea of painting a halo around his head. He said, I'm meek and lowly, and that's to be the badge of his followers. That's the fraternity pen of believers. Paul says, don't let looks fool you. He had the authority of an apostle, and we, I'm afraid, forget that also. And this idea today of trying to bring Jesus down to a low level just because he was a carpenter. Paul here, he had a divine mission, and he spoke with authority. And he was conscious of supernatural power, and he exercised supernatural power. I think we need to note that. That's very important to note, my friend. Now, Paul urges them not to force him to exercise his authority. He says, I'd like to come to you again, as he had the first time, in meekness and in gentleness. And Paul now insists that the minority not judge according to the outward appearances. Paul says, I don't walk according to the flesh. Now, what does he mean by that? Where he says, verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Well, he means this, and actually the word flesh here, sark, is the Greek word, can be used in three different ways. It can speak of the body, the physical body that we have, the meat that's on the bones, or it can speak of weakness, that which is psychological, or it can speak of that corrupt nature which you and I have, a fallen nature, and that's the spiritual side. So it can be used in a physical sense, a psychological sense, and a spiritual sense. Now, Paul used the word in all three senses, but more frequently in the sense of the old Adamic fallen nature. Paul could say in Romans, I know that in my flesh 
that is within my body, dwelleth no good thing. That's that old Adamic nature. Now, I think he uses it in the last two senses here. That is, the weakness, the psychological. Paul says he walked in the flesh. Weakness. I do not think that Paul came to Corinth in the energy of the flesh. The warfare was a spiritual warfare. He'd said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And he didn't come as an ordinary man, depending upon the principles of the natural, acting upon the flesh. Paul wasn't putting on in Corinth a Madison Avenue campaign. He didn't use the methods of advertising and organization and human effort and energy. And I don't mean to minimize these, but Paul's just saying he didn't use them. And he wasn't one of the personality boys that uses cleverness and quotes a great many Christian cliches and soars to beautiful language. He didn't come there as anti-Nero or anti-Caesar. He didn't come to Corinth to clean up Corinth. He didn't come at the invitation of the fundamentalists to put on a campaign of fundamentalism. Paul says, I determined not to know anything among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul had a grand perspective of an entire battlefield. There was a heaven to gain. There was a hell to shun. And this is the way this man is moving now. And listen to him. Now he talks about the weapons. You see here, we need to recognize the warfare is spiritual. And the weapons are secret, secret weapons. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty, through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, they're so secret, honestly, that they're not even listed here. This verse, you know, is sort of a parenthesis. Now, are we able to identify these spiritual weapons that we need today? Well, spiritual warfare means that we have a spiritual enemy, and a spiritual enemy requires spiritual weapons. Our enemy is not of the flesh. We're told that we have some weapons and they're mighty. That is, they're effective. Now, there are certain weapons that are negative and certain that are positive. Now, we're told here they're destructive, casting down imaginations. That is, the reasonings and the philosophy and the sophistry of the Greeks. They were great on philosophy. And every high thing, well, I thought of this when I was at the ruins of Corinth. Up on top, there are the ruins of a crusader temple up on the Acropolis there. And in Paul's day, there was the temple of Aphrodite. The worship there was sex. And Paul says that his weapons could cast down not only imaginations, but every high thing. And that's the highest Acropolis of any Greek city that's there at Corinth. And this is the man that said, I determined not to know anything among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, are you beginning to see his spiritual weapons? Let me list those that are in evidence here, the Word of God. And I mean more than just the inspiration of Scripture. Not just a creed or plenary verbal inspiration. I mean more than that. I listened to a preacher. He said he believed in verbal inspiration he quoted poetry and some cute cliches and had some pert epigrams and he had every form of philosophical argument, but there was no exposition. May I say to you, when I say today the Word of God, I mean 
to have confidence in the Word of God that it's a weapon. It's the sword of the Spirit. And Paul could come to Corinth, the citadel of Greek philosophy and religion, and he had some secret weapons. And these secret weapons, by the way, were pretty important, Paul says. They were those that he just used. That is, he used nothing but the Word of God. You remember he said to the Ephesians, take the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, or take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And Paul drew his trusty sword, and he depended on the naked blade of it. And he said, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Everyone that believe it. And he said that to the Corinthians. We can have confidence in the Word of God today. It's very important. I'm a conservative. I believe in inspiration of the Word of God. I believe that you can't demythologize the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, and especially creation. I believe in hell. I believe in the Bible from the beginning to the end. And it's the sword of the Spirit, my friend. That's one of our weapons. And then the presence of the Holy Spirit. Paul recognized his human weakness and that we today are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And then there's another weapon, prayer. Now, there's very little about prayer in either Corinthian epistle. That's true. But Paul believed in prayer. And he used prayer as one of the weapons for offense in the sixth chapter of Ephesians. Not only take the Word of God, but praying in the Holy Spirit. Now he says something here, and will you notice? Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, the warriors are successful. And when I say that, I do not mean victorious. He gets the victory. And you and I, we get saved for one thing, and then we're successful. But the glory all goes to him. You want to listen to Paul again in this? Over in Second Corinthians 2.14, he says, Now thanks be to God who always causeth us to triumph. How? In Christ maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Now, we won't win everybody. <laughs> But, my friend, we can give the Word of God out today. Thank God for the open door of radio. Thank God for the open door of witnessing. Thank God for the missionaries. My Christian friend, aren't you rejoicing that the Word of God is getting out today? We're not victorious, but we sure can be successful. And that's what he means. Now, let me move rather hurriedly through this section. He says, "...and having inner readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled." Do ye look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. He said, now we belong to Christ as much as anyone. And he's talking now to the opposition. He says, for though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification, and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed. Now, Paul says, I have the authority of an apostle. Now, it's not to try to destroy you, but actually it is for your edification. That is building you up. Paul says, I'm an apostle in order that I might build you up. How important it is. 
for us to see this even today. And now he says, verse 8, For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed that I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters. Paul says, I don't mean to be bold and terrify you in my letters and then to be meek when I'm among you. Notice verse 10, for his letters say they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. And I believe that Paul was not what you would call an attractive man. That's the thing we need to recognize, that when anyone heard Paul, it was like when men saw Samson, when the Spirit of God came upon him, they knew he didn't do what he did by physical strength. And people knew that when Paul preached, it wasn't by his eloquence, or it wasn't by his magnetism, and it wasn't by his ability, although I'm confident he had tremendous ability. But when you heard Paul the apostle, he was such a weak-looking vessel, they said, it's by the Spirit of God. And that's the only way you can explain it. Now he goes on here. I'll have to drop back to verse 12. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measure themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. And here he injects just a little note of humor. A great many folk compare themselves by themselves. And I think that is the reason today that many churches feel that they've arrived. And a great many Christians feel that they are really fine, outstanding spiritual Christians because they compare themselves by other Christians. Well, my friend, that's not the yardstick that we're to use today. And that is the tragedy of the hour. We can be in a cold church and get cold ourselves and not be conscious of it and be around cold Christians. We need to be around Christians that challenge us. There are too many today satisfied with a little click in some group or church, and they're just about as honorary as the others and makes them feel all right because they're all in the same boat. And now will you notice, verse 13, but we'll not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. Now Paul has a point here that we don't want to miss. They were saying over there in Corinth, they were saying, well, Brother Paul won't come to see us. He won't come and spend time with us. And how many Christians today criticize their preacher because he doesn't spend more time with them, visiting them? My friend, every moment he spends with you, petting you and pampering you, he's wasting the Lord's time. He should be spending it for something else. Now, they were saying about Paul, oh, he won't come over to see us. And my, how critical they were. Now, Paul says, for we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reach not unto you. For we are come as far as you also in preaching the gospel of Christ. Paul says, you must remember, I came to you first. I was the first one to bring the gospel to you, and I was a long ways from home. Now, listen to him. Not boasting of things without our measure, that is, other men's laborers, but having hope when your faith is increased that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. Now, Paul says, my method is not to come and be pastor of a church. I'm a missionary. When I begin a work, I go on. I'm moving out to the frontier. 
I never build on another man's foundation. And he says here, to preach the gospel in regions beyond you, and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commended. Now, Paul says, I'm doing what God has called me to do. And it might be well for you, Christian layman, before you criticize your preacher, to find out what his calling is. Now, you may have a man's gifted in calling. Or you may have a man that is gifted in the pulpit. Well, you better let him have time to prepare his message. And if he's spending all of his time running around with you, he's not spending time in the study, which he should. And if you have a man that may not be a brilliant preacher, but he may be a tremendous organizer, that may be his gift. You find out what his gift is. See if he's exercising his gift. Don't sit in judgment on him. Now in chapter 11, we come now to that which is quite intimate. Paul now speaks of these folk who are joined to the living Christ. Oh, it's so important today for us to see that. I'm more and more convinced that the message of this epistle is a message all of us need. It's been beneficial to me. I've spent more time studying this epistle this time than any other book I've come to in the Bible. And I found it's had a real message for my own heart. Maybe I've just been talking to myself. But my feeling is there's a tremendous message here. And he says, Would to God. Chapter 11, now verse 1. Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. I came to Corinth. I preached the gospel. A church came into existence. And I espouse this church, these people, these believers, to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And I can't overemphasize this today, the simplicity that is in Christ. Oh, today we need more simplicity in getting the Word of God out. I'm so tired of especially young preachers today. And they are just the fruit of our seminaries who are trying to be intellectual. I heard a young man the other day. I couldn't tell what he was talking about. And after I listened to him for 15 minutes, I was convinced he didn't know what he was talking about. He was trying to be intellectual. And he was ending up by saying nothing. May I say to you, what he needed to do is to give out the Word of God the simplicity that's in Christ. Oh, how that's needed today. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we've not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. But Paul says you didn't accept another Jesus or another spirit, because said, I came and preached to you. For I suppose I was not a whit behind the very chiefest apostles. Now, Paul says he was the least of them, but he said, I wasn't behind them. I think actually Paul was way ahead of them, to tell the truth. But Paul is saying here, just because I made tents among you and I walked in meekness and the gentleness of Christ doesn't mean I'm not an apostle. For though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge, Paul was a brilliant man. But he used simple language. 
but we have been truly made manifest among you in all things. There are two men that meant a great deal in my life. One was a man in Memphis, Tennessee, and he was a brilliant scholar, but oh, how he taught in simplicity. And then Dr. Harry Ironside, that many of you knew, Dr. Ironside, they always speak of him as being a very simple preacher. Well, he wasn't quite as simple as you think he was. He was really a very brilliant man, but he preached simply. He put the cookies down where the kiddies could get them. That's important. Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. While Dr. McGee is grateful for those two men, I'm thankful that he too put the cookies on the bottom shelf for us. Aren't you? If you want to listen to today's program again, and who wouldn't want to do that, you can go to ttb.org. And to support God's Word as it goes out into more than 200 languages worldwide, you can call 1-800-65-BIBLE or go to ttb.org forward slash give. Next time, Dr. McGee warns us about the ministers of Satan and how we can be on the lookout for them. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll meet you here next time. Through the Bible is a five-year study of God's entire Word, and together we discover God's purposes in history and our lives, found only when we believe in Jesus Christ. Do you know Him yet?